0: I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's dear. No, it's not. I know Jim. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to
1: survive. Yes, you
0: can, because I can't lose you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass.
2: Welcome to Above the Garage, a Nick and June, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hey, friends, welcome to our deep dive into season one, episode five of The Handmaid's Tale. This episode is called Faithful, and we're going to discuss it in the context of the show to date. So if you're a new watcher, go and find our spoiler free analysis that we released on Monday of the same episode. This episode is intended for longtime fans to discuss the episode in the context of the show to date. So let's do a round of introductions and dive in.
1: Hi, I'm Wanda.
2: Hi, I'm Mary Gold. Hi, I'm Ginger. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Kate. So for the deep dive, let's start again at the beginning when June and Fred are playing Scrabble and her voiceover tells us this is her 34th game of Scrabble with him and that she's enjoying him letting her win, and he is enjoying her flirting with him. So I did not remember June and Fred getting along this well, uh, even in the beginning, the the flirtatious tone.
0: I'll admit during the first time I watched it, I thought
2: that the show was setting it up to have something Build between June and Fred, so I think I do recall back in 2017, probably <laughs> thinking that that was going somewhere that it wasn't. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. That been Horrible, <laughs> but it's a, it, it is accurate in the Stockholm syndrome kind of way, you know. I mean, yeah. you're not been allowed to do anything for many years, and now you're you play Scrabble every night and read magazines and. Drink alcohol, which is another parallel to the season four finale. Yeah, yeah. I forgot that they used to drink together.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same glasses, too. Yes.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. I
3: think they're the same glasses, which would read Dorset glassware from Williams. (laughs) Very specific, (laughs) Charlotte.
2: We have an expert on every episode.
4: I really noticed during when Serena is telling June that she's going to have to sleep with Nick when, you know, she says, Oh, it's going to be Nick. And the way June says his name, that softness came out. And I immediately thought of 409 when he says her name and, you know, she's so hard in season four and even season three because of what has happened to her. And she's such, she's hard and like stone cold and just traumatized and, Nick is the only person who can bring out that softness in her, you know, and right. it's just amazing, like rewatching and seeing that it started from the very beginning, that they've always she's always been soft with him. Yeah, like soft in a good way, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Lizzie did say in, a, in an interview, I think it was in the rap or I forget exactly where, but she did say that June is herself with Nick. She's softer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you can tell that she wants to be with Nick.
3: Mm mm-hmm. I think that's why season three she's so so detached and so different you know like season three is is like her turning point into becoming this ruthless person like becoming more like Gilead and I think she has that ability to become that because he's not there right yeah that's the way that I that I kind of see season three no I agree
4: and I think too like you know back to when they're in Fred's office and you know, Fred says, what is, what else is there to live for? And June says, love. I think it's very important because I hear a lot of people say, well, June should be alone. Like she shouldn't be with right. anyone."
0: Mm-hmm. but, oh my God.
4: but, but this episode, she says she wants love. That's what she lives for. Right. So this is what she wants. And then obviously we see at the end of season four, she clearly wants Nick Right. for a lot of these reasons because of the way he treats her, you know? And I think. You know, a lot of people like to say she should be alone, which honestly kind of even offends me because I don't think we should be telling a woman who's been like yeah, everything has been taken away from her for seven years. I don't think we should be telling her how she should feel.
2: Yeah,
4: um, but I just think it's. I think she this go literally goes back to season one where she's saying she wants love. She doesn't want to be alone. Well, she wants- I
1: mean, that scene at the the um tr- what is it, the food truck with Luke? It shows mm-hmm. that she wants. She was searching for love. Yeah. At, on a tender, she had a tender profile. So, what makes people think that she wants to be alone? Jo- June has never wanted to be alone,
2: Mm-mm. not not ever, like you said. That's and
4: what's anymore. better than being with somebody who has been there with you through a lot of your trauma? You know, right? Yeah. Like, what's better than being with somebody who has seen it and he's been in that war and he understands you? And not only does he understand you, but like he he, he can help give- you heal too. Exactly, he gives you that autonomy that you Mm -hmm. desperately want and need. He he's selfless, like he's uh, seen
2: the worst of you. Yeah, yeah. You know, every the lowest you've been, the meanest you've been, the murderous you've been. like like, every single aspect of you he loves.
3: It's the only time she can be
2: vulnerable. It's
3: the only time she can be herself, and it goes again to that flashback of you know, then I'll love whoever you become. No, because you expect Luke expects June to be somebody else and June feels that she has to fit this mold in order to be loved by by Luke. She says it on the boat. Mm -hmm. She feels like she owes him and I don't doubt that she cared and she loved him but it's just not the same love that one in a lifetime love, unconditional love because that's what it is between Nick and June. It's been shown since season one all the way to season four. So that flashback is really important because mm-hmm. you know it's showing Luke saying, "I love whoever you become," but that's not true. Once we get to four ten, we know exactly who's gonna love whatever June becomes because he's loved June who she was before, even though she he didn't know her. He mm-hmm. loves what June was before, loves what June is now, and he's gonna love whatever June becomes after because yeah. he loves June. True. Period.
4: I think it was funny because I you know rewatching this episode when they're talking about the ten ways um, to tell how he feels mm-hmm. about you. And in Fred's office, like she reads, he brings you small gifts. And the first <laughs> thing that popped into my mind was Nick bringing June the gift of Fred.
1: Right. Uh, a small gift. Like,
2: that's like, that's such a good parallel. <laughs> Pretty big gift. Yeah, that's actually yeah. a huge gift. That's my thing with Nick is he always like gives her the best gifts. He Literally does. bringing her messages of her husband's love from Canada. Right. That is mind blowing to me because... Very few people would ever do that. The file on Hannah. Yeah, the file like, on yeah. Hannah. Like, he didn't yeah. even know that he was going to see her
0: again, and he was doing all of this work for her. He's like, yeah. well, she's mm-hmm. gone.
2: What can I do for her while she, yeah. you know, now that she's gone forever? And exactly. he does it.
4: And then he brings her the gift of her rapist. There you the go. I mean, <laughs>
2: what what better gifts could a woman and her shoes you know? have? <laughs> well, literally, there is no better gift that any woman could ever get than her no. rapist. So it's interesting he she checks off the only two of the ten that she got through in that magazine i'd like to track it down and i'm sure he fulfills the other eight <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay back to the intimacy
2: coordinators for season oh, four yeah <laughs>
0: there was no sex scenes <laughs> i know
2: yes there was oh right so yeah the end of season four episode seven when june's just finished confronting serena and she comes back home to luke and uh
0: you yeah. guys consider that scene with luke rape yes i i, I want to say something yeah if you're seeing it from the outside yes he didn't
3: want to you know and by yeah. definition that's what it was and if i can't you a really jury say, well, you're saying
2: yes correct yeah yes if, yeah.
3: yeah i mean i can't really go say well he can push her off because that's going to revert to the times where women don't fight back and then right. they don't get justice. yeah so that's yeah i mean we think about it because unfortunately we do but
0: mm-hmm.
3: in the same sense if june and luke don't consider that rape which they're their characters i know this
0: mm-hmm.
3: i don't think they consider that rape themselves we're looking at it from the outside yeah so we know what it is but i don't think they think that's
0: what she that considers was. it I, rape
2: because of the voiceover that she said right afterwards
0: what did she say right afterwards? what did she say
2: yeah and she oh. says she'll rape you or whatever and it's yeah. showing like june yeah. and luke at that time
1: I agree that uh, they don't think it's rape, but yeah. the fact that his agency was taken away—that yeah. in itself is is rape. What do you I think, think Marigold?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah,
3: I I definitely think it's rape. I mean, and I think the show put it there in order for everybody to talk about it. I mean, yeah. I've read so many things like, well, that's they're married. That's not rape. Uh, yes, it oh, is. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if you don't feel that you got raped, it doesn't matter. You know, like you're just going to say that you weren't raped. Yeah, I you know, agree. Even if it is. I think it, Matt? you're right. I don't. I Luke just think
0: you say that he was raped.
1: I just yeah. think it's easier for us to accept a woman being raped than it is a man. Yeah, it's yeah, the same sure. thing with, with domestic violence. We don't mm-hmm. think men suffer domestic violence, but they yeah.
2: do. So I agree with Marigold. I don't think that Luke would say he was raped.
0: Yeah, I think I think that he. Probably would have wanted to have sex with June, mm-hmm. but obviously but not, not in that way. Like yeah. I think he wanted it, but then when he realized like how she was going about it, he was well, like, "She put her hand over now. his mouth." like, Yeah, and she, very, she, 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 pinned like, actually, yeah. she pinned his hand down. She pinned his hand down. She was saying,
1: "Don't touch me." I mean, he wanted to be. He wanted. He was like, "Oh yeah," he wanted to be involved, but mm-hmm. June said, "No,
2: I don't want you involved." yeah, yeah and don't touch yeah, me, yeah. and
1: don't talk. You have no say. So that's why. I mean, she took away his agency. That's why I see it as rape.
2: A lot of people
3: think that, like we said earlier, men cannot be victims. I mean, I know this is a feminist show, but just because it's a feminist show doesn't mean that men cannot be allies. How do we expect to get equality if we're thinking that the huge problem is all the men or if you don't know how to educate the men on what we want or how we feel?
4: This is why I think it gets complicated with the way people like to think that Nick raped June. Yeah, didn't. But no. again, because because people because don't see man. the man, yeah. people that don't see the man as much as a victim, as much as right. that he's an eye, but
3: he still has no
4: choice.
0: Right. Um,
3: when when undercover FBI agents go undercover, they have to kill people and they have to do drugs because they have to keep the mask on in order to catch the big fish. And their morality is going to be lost along the way. We haven't seen Nick's morality get lost along the
4: way. He is a true ally to all women. And he's Mm -hmm. just because June is a feminist and we're all feminists and it's a show about women doesn't mean you can't have a man who supports her. Like she's still, she's a woman, she's a woman, but she's still a human. Like humans want to be loved. So to have somebody support you and like give you that stability and like mental health and all that like that helps her be even more of a stronger woman you know so I had two more observations so when Luke and June are in the hotel room and she asks him to leave his wife and then Luke says I'm in love with you I that struck me because he said he's in love with her which to me just doesn't sound the same as I love you Uh, and I, I I don't know I'm trying to remember, like if we've heard Luke say, I love you to June or her say it to him in the show. I don't remember, she said but it to him oh. on
2: the cassette tape and in the letter,
1: they both say it at the christening of Hannah. OK,
2: Okay,
4: but I just think that it, it was struck me as strange that...
2: sounding too, though, that that yeah, is because he said, said I'm it. in
4: love with you, which for Nick and June, they've never said anything but I love you, which right. also they've never even said I love you too." like in the bridge scene. Yeah, that I love so much. I really appreciate that he doesn't say I love you too because I mean I think that's fine to say but I think even I love you too comes off different than I love you because I love you too can kind of sound like I'm agreeing with you
0: but I think if you
4: both say I love you it's like it's more it's just it's more powerful so I thought that was I don't know that was striking
2: Mm -hmm. for me me too
4: and then also one more observation I had too when they first when um, Luke and June 1st get together and they go to the hotel room. I'm always listening to the background noise in this show and I give like the sound people major props because all these little details of this show are just so important. You don't really realize it when you first watch it but when they go to the hotel room to hook up for the first time there's sirens in the background. <laughs> like emergency <laughs> sirens. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that is that like even a sign back then? Like the <laughs> red flag, like, look, there are sirens with this relationship. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: That cafe scene was actually a foreshadowing of what's to come because you yeah. see those little those Girl. four little girls in the background. And the red Ooh. dresses. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: I d- didn't
2: remember that they were in red. I noticed that yeah. too yeah oh, wow. handmade red mm-hmm. traveling in pairs we also wanted to hit again in the deep dive um, that's seen after the ceremony in this episode when june goes up to fred's office to confront him about touching her inappropriately well gilead inappropriately during the ceremony and then he um says that quote that's used a few times in the show better
4: never means better for everyone
2: it always means, yeah, better, for it always some.
1: means
4: worse for some
3: that line goes back to, um, I believe, season two. We were talking about the Boston Globe. And um, Nick tells her that it's it's best for her to leave. And June uses that same line that Fred told her. So it was I didn't catch on to it until I rewatched it last night, that that's what Fred tells her. And then she tells Nick in the second season. So there's another right. parallel. Because right well, she yeah.
4: says she wants to stay for Hannah. And Nick says it's better for everyone if she goes.
3: Yeah, yeah,
4: uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to their conversation in the kitchen where June asked him if he's an I Mm -hmm. Um, back again back to that line where she tells she tells him please don't tell me what to do or please don't tell me where to go you know again I I've mentioned earlier I think it's such a turning point in their relationship but from that point on he never again tells her what to do and again I think back to the Boston Globe where he just gives her his gun and lets her He's going to let her drive away because he's not going to, even though we all know, like she's not rational in that scene. Mm -hmm. He's not going to tell her not to go. He just can't do that. That's not who Nick is, and he won't do it.
1: Yeah, she's established that boundary early on, and he's never crossed that ever,
2: never again. Like what man has ever listened to a woman that I know he could have easily lied to her about being an eye, but he was always truthful with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Never tells her what to do. Like let it go. We're gonna put Fred on the
2: wall. You yep. just gotta let it go. Yep. Yeah. You don't want to. But like that—that's absolutely true. Like that is probably, I think, one of the biggest. Yeah, I think it's like the biggest moment in the relationship is what happened in the kitchen. Like Ginger said, he said, "You know, to your room. I'm trying to tell you to be safe," and she's like, "Do not tell me what to do. You know, yeah. you can perhaps advise me, but you cannot tell me what to do." And i just never seen a person take that so deeply into his soul and, and decide I'm never, ever again going to tell her what to do, even if it means her life, you know, like we talked about, even in the season four, when he captures her and he could kick the gun away, but he doesn't, he just says, you know, I'm trying to keep you alive. And he stands up and he waits for her to make the decision on whether she's going to live or going to die.
3: With season three, you know, he'd, he'd do anything for her. Season three, she asks him to go talk to the Swiss and he doesn't want to go because he mm-hmm. has his reasons not to go. And yet he still goes. And that like goes forward to, you know, he'll do anything for me and for for Nicole. I mean, it's, it's been there since since the beginning. He didn't have to tell her he was an I. That was a death sentence. Yeah, And he tells her because he wants to establish that trust. I mean, there's something there. And I think he he's always been in awe of who june is i mean obviously like i said earlier june is the main character of the story but she pulls people to her fire whether it's good or bad because obviously you know there's going to be consequences but people naturally follow her they are drawn to her for whatever reason
4: you know what else i love about this episode though you know, I, I really feel like this episode shows that even from the beginning, I think it was always written. It just seems very end game that Nick and June
2: mm-hmm.
4: are gonna be together. And I think this episode, there's just so many parallels between like Luke and Nick and the you know, the flashbacks. Yeah. And I just feel like mm-hmm. there's so many signs that this was always meant to be. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they've played up the love triangle for four seasons, but I
2: don't know. I don't, I think, I think think it was always in one. It was evident. Yeah. Yeah. I think
0: so. Yeah. One thing that I really love, and I I think we may have touched on this in our meta episode, but just that like June is not afraid to fight with Nick either, or like be angry with him. Yeah. Whereas like with Luke, I don't remember a scene where she was ever really like angry or like, Let's herself
1: really go when when she was talking to um, Maura. Yes, in episode six when mm-hmm. she says um, Annie and Luke fight all the time. We never fight. Mm-hmm. I mean that in itself is a red flag because yes. mm-hmm. if you don't fight with your spouse, you're always someone is always giving in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's usually true. June that's yep. given, and it, it, it's like she tiptoes around him. Yeah. This is what I need to see in season five, her telling him exactly how she feels about yeah. him being complacent and them not getting out safe.
4: Yeah. And she fights with Nick. She fought she, with him at the yeah, Boston Globe. Yeah. Yeah. She's she fought with him. Well, I don't know if I'd call it a fight, but I mean, she's pushed back on him even in the next episode when she's in his apartment and she's mad about what she didn't say to the mexican in um, season three
0: yeah
1: he never yeah and
4: then in season goodbye. three and when he's gonna go off to war like she's right. mad at
1: him Scarlett, i think you said that he's her safe place to fall i think in one of your posts i remember because i had yeah. mentioned that she's tiptoes around luke but she fights with nick
3: yeah yeah she she's and, and even in canada she she just got to canada after being fucked up for seven years and she still trying to make him feel okay yeah when it yeah. should be the other way around right. um, she's not she she doesn't feel comfortable opening herself up that's why she didn't want him in the testimony she tells moira i know what he can take yeah. it's not what he can take i mean i know he's had his share of trauma i mean he lost his daughter he lost his wife but it's not the same thing trauma is yeah. not a competition yeah.
1: you know everybody
3: <laughs> right. but but it, come on dude like he, he's had I, seven
1: I, I years think, to work on his trauma though yeah you know? yeah
3: but he's he does he he hasn't you know he he right. just simply thought that everything was just going to go back to normal which which is not a valid reaction but it's kind of like a normal reaction
0: mm-hmm.
3: um yes. maybe and I think I said it in one of the podcasts it's like with COVID we all think that things are going to go back to the way they were they're not you know right. this is our new normal things are yeah. always going to um, be different yeah So so I think June noticed exactly what love is supposed to be or how you're supposed to be treated. And it's kind of ironic she found that in Gilead because she wouldn't have found it anywhere else. And she she wouldn't have had to be how she is if it wouldn't have been for Gilead because she wasn't like her mother. You know, she had this she has this weird relationship with her mom and even her mom tells her you're going to settle And that's the way that I've seen her relationship with Luke is like, you're settling for what society tells you that you should have
1: Mm -hmm. not what you want. So
3: what she wants is
2: Nick. We can spend hours analyzing. this. (laughs) Um, That's an
3: interesting perspective.
2: I think that it's important that they are both in this show. There is a person like Luke who is your average male that's plotting along (laughs) kind of sexist, but not like, glaringly so but you know when his wife's money gets taken away he's like it's okay i'll take care of you you know
0: it's like he's unintentionally sexist like i don't yes. think luke has like a malicious intent
2: none but yeah. he's
0: benefited from the patriarchal, patriarchal. society right. before right. gilead even so right or so nick, have-
4: nick did not have any of these benefits in his in his life before gilead which right. i think is an interesting you know it's it's their backgrounds play a big role in who who these men are and how they treat him
2: he's the teenager like you know he was like 18 19 and he gets you know he has a bad family has no money he's trying to support his alcoholic brother yeah uh, possibly dad i forget exactly what's said and what's in my head canon but anyway so he's trying to support his family and he is taken in by a group that targets people that are exactly like him. And, and in a, an actual situation where this would happen in reality, that these are the two like two of many types of people that are in play here. Right. And I think it's really interesting that the show involves both of them and then how they develop from that point forward.
1: Do you guys remember when Luke went to go visit uh, Fred in, in jail in Canada? remember yeah, when yeah. he went mm-hmm. and he sits down and he tells Fred that you and I he I'm not quoting verbatim but he's saying you know you and I came from good families we're educated we're men of faith I mean right then that tells you that both of them came up and they have these misogynistic ways or these um patriarchal ways
2: mm-hmm. they
1: they sort of have the same upbringing whereas mm-hmm. like you were saying Nick Nick didn't Nick didn't come from anything like that, you know, as far as we know. Yeah. But that right. just reveals that Luke and there's some similarities between Luke and um Yeah.
0: That's,
3: That's a good point. Yeah. I think that like Marigold said, I, I don't think Luke does things maliciously. He's not, I mean, if you have to choose between Fred and Luke, obviously I'm gonna choose Luke. Right. He he doesn't his intention is not to hurt June or to hurt anyone. It's just, he doesn't know better. Like for me, my problem with Luke wasn't that he was unfaithful to his wife. It was just that he was oblivious and ignorant to the things that were happening to his wife because he didn't know any better because they don't affect him. And he didn't have the capacity to look past that and try to put himself in her shoes. Right, And he's overbearing. And these are things that as women, we are told to look past them like when when they're telling us that we need to find a significant other to settle down we're told to look for a provider a protector and a good father and a man can be a great father and still treat his wife like shit. but that wife is not going to leave because she's not going to want to leave her kids without a father so the pressure is on the woman when a man is being protective we're supposed to like like that because we're made to believe that we need protection Mm -hmm. and men sometimes do these things they don't do them on purpose because misogyny is just ingrained our society sometimes we even promote it without even noticing and and i think that's what luke represents and that's my big problem with luke like since the beginning since since i think the third episode there's a lot of that there
0: (laughs) even if like nick did benefit from that patriarchal society i think that he recognizes his privilege you know and i think that he recognizes that women have been oppressed and he tries to do something about it, too. I
2: think he regrets he's it never, very much. I he's think never he's mistreated. a self-loathing, like, guiltful person.
3: He, he's mm-hmm. never mistreated a woman in the show, even with Serena. Like, yeah, he treats true. her yeah, with respect. Definitely. Actually, I mean, look, me.
1: Look how Rita talks to him. He's never <laughs> yeah. come back at her ever. Yep.
3: Yeah. I think Wanda mentioned it when, when he's talking to the Martha's in season four. They're not afraid of him.
1: Right. They're not oh,
4: they
1: yell of him. at him. Yeah. 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 They treat him like, like they're kind of know, disrespectful
4: to him, but mm-hmm. he doesn't care because well, he's, he's, he's,
1: he's one of them really. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he's just playing a game. He's just wearing a mask and they know the true Nick. So. Yeah.
4: Right. But I think what makes me respect Nick too, is that, you know, you talked about protectiveness and that's what we are kind of like trained to look for. And, you know, a lot of times, well, sometimes, you know, in a patriarchal society, men can be protective in a, overbearing way overbearing way but i I think the way nick is protective because he is he is very protective of june Mm -hmm. but it's in such a i don't know it's such a caring way and it's definitely not overbearing because he's protective of her but he never he still lets her make her own decisions even if they're not good decisions
1: right
4: and i I think that's basically he's her support person right you know which is why she survives gillies she tells luke in season three like he helped, me, he to helped me to survive because he's there for her. Like we've talked about in the last episode, like I think he's the difference. And I think it's the, even with, the, even with all the other handmaids, they don't have a Nick, you know? And she has this man who he's protective of her, but he lets her be her. He sees her. He lets her be a woman with opinions and her own thoughts. And, but like, he's still looking out for her and trying to help, you know, steer her, you know, he's out behind the scenes doing things, you know, with being an eye and going against Fred or whatever. But I just think that's what makes me draw. I'm drawn to him even more because you just don't see that even in men that are not living in a Gilead society, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
3: he sees her as an equal. He doesn't see her as a woman and limited by being a woman. She's limited because she's in Gilead and Gilead limits right. you because you're a woman. He right. sees her as just, June she's June period she's nobody else yeah that's what I like about his talk which I
4: love because the whole theme of season four was freedom and really since the very beginning season one Nick has always been the one that gives her true freedom right you know she's living in Gilead and everything's taken away from her but her freedom has always been with Nick because especially now that she goes to him to his apartment like that's their freedom together, you know, which you, you really see in season two once Eden is in the picture and now they can't go there. They don't have that freedom anymore, you know? So I think he's always represented freedom for her.
2: When it oh, goes back did. to her quote um, with Fred yeah. um, about love. I mean, that's ultimately what saves her this entire four seasons. And,
3: and Canada, she was supposed to be free. She isn't yeah, really she free no yeah. until 409 until she sees Nick, like we get to see June again.
2: And back to Nick and June, I feel sure we want to discuss again the final scene in this episode when June comes to Nick and makes love on her terms, on their terms, voluntarily.
4: You know, I thought back to the Boston Globe scene where that's a very, um, you know, there's a lot of roughness going on in that one. Mm -hmm. And I think even in this scene, you can still sense that roughness between Nick and June because June is like clawing at his back. And, and then when she's on top of him, like his hands are kind of like digging into her skin as well. But then there's also the gentleness because he does hold her hands and he's just like worshiping her and everything. And I think that, you know, that push, and then there's that push pull that's always been between them where like, he starts out on top of her, but then she ends up on top of him. And I think that's always been how their dynamic has been. So I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, so I think it's cool that you see that in their very first, like, real love scene together. Like, it's always been there.
2: Yeah, and it's, again, I'm tired of me using the word organic, but it's just stunning to me how, like, without any conversation or visible, I don't know, change, they just know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's really beautiful. It literally always looks like a dance between the two of them. It does. It does. The song at the end, after she goes to Nick, is I Want a Little Sugar in My Bowl by Nina Simone. Yeah. And it's like the lyrics are perfect. I want a little sweetness down in my soul. I could stand some loving. Oh, so bad. Feels so funny. I feel so sad. I want a little steam on my clothes. Maybe I could fix things up so they'll go, what's the matter, daddy? Come on, save my soul. Anyway, she wants a little sugar. I like the uh, music choices in this show. That's like perfect for them and for that scene. Okay, so after we finished this recording, I went back to the book to look specifically at the scene between June and Luke after she's lost her job and money, and he says, it's all right, I can take care of you. So that's season one, episode three of the show, because that scene comes up in conversation a lot. Obviously, The moment when she loses her job and money is important in the whole story. And there's just something about it that's always made me uncomfortable that I couldn't quite put my finger on. So I thought maybe uh, we should see how Margaret Atwood wrote that scene between Luke and June. And unsurprisingly, Margaret Atwood's June puts my feelings a lot more eloquently than I ever could. So let me read this excerpt from the book. That night, after I'd lost my job, Luke wanted to make love why didn't I want to? Desperation alone should have driven me, but I still felt numbed. I could hardly even feel his hands on me. What's the matter, he said. I don't know, I said. We still have, he said, but he didn't go on to say what we still had. It occurred to me that he shouldn't be saying we, since nothing that I knew of had been taken away from him. We still have each other, I said. It was true. Then why did I sound, even to myself, so indifferent? He kissed me then, as if now I'd said that things could get back to normal. But something had shifted, some balance. I felt shrunken, so that when he put his arms around me, gathering me up, I was small as a doll. I felt love going forward without me. He doesn't mind this, I thought. He doesn't mind it at all. Maybe he even likes it. We are not each other's anymore. Instead, I am his. Unworthy, unjust, untrue. But that is what happened. So Luke, what I want to ask you now, what I need to know is, was I right? Because we never talked about it. By the time I could have done that, I was afraid to. I couldn't afford to lose you. So I think that excerpt is just very relevant to the conversation that we just had in that Margaret Atwood's original work sums Luke up very similarly to what we've been discussing and the show's done a phenomenal job of bringing that to life. Even, I think, the quote, the part of that where she says, he kissed me then as if now I'd said that things could get back to normal. I feel like that was kind of how he was acting throughout season four, wanting to just pretend everything was back to normal. So anyway, I think the show's done a really great job of uh, keeping true to the book and the characters in the book. So now we're going to launch into my favorite new segment every week, which is our after the fact with my good friend, Wanda. Welcome, Wanda.
1: Hi, Kate. How are you today? How's your week going?
2: Oh, it's going good. It's luckily a short holiday week, so we're off to a good start with day one being Tuesday. Oh, okay. And I always look forward to our Tuesday night dates, by the way.
1: I know it's fun, right?
2: I don't know all the things you're about to get into, but I wanted to pick up one thing from our was it spoiler free? Yes. Anyway, I just want to clarify the fact that I will die on the hill of Serena subtly advising June to seek out Nick further. Okay. For better chances of insemination. Okay, <laughs> and
1: I, I'm a good friend of yours, and I don't want you to die on that hill alone. <laughs> so, so maybe we should ask the audience.
2: Someone come save me at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, her quote though was, uh, "Let's see, she said some women can't handle the requirements of their position. They can't do what needs to be done." You understand uh-huh. what I'm saying. You're a smart girl, so I think she's reinforcing the fact that whoever created the Gilead laws was not that intelligent in the quantity of sexual relations during fertility periods. And right. She's saying, uh, "You and I know that it's a numbers game when it's low fertility, and you do what you need to what what needs to be done." Okay she didn't say you know what you shouldn't do because mm-hmm. I don't believe she was talking about the Emily situation do anything that needs to be done to get pregnant now that it's not my husband it's not Fred anymore that we're talking about <laughs> already made them do it with Nick yeah she's visually seen that they're doing this any chance you get go find him and you know
1: <laughs> do the deed <laughs> yes
2: and by the way I don't like that and that's I don't think that's why she went back to him over and over again by any means. Yeah, I'm just saying, I think that that's what was happening in that conversation.
1: All right. And I'm not going to say what I think I'm going (laughs) to I'm going to let the the audience see. I think if they go back
2: and listen, they might be able to tell what you think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that part when everybody's like, Like, are you crazy?
1: There's no way she's telling her to do that. For
2: the record, there is one other person on this hill with me, Melissa, out of our group of many people. So So it's not in our favor, but I know. Yeah, I I think
1: that's what a lot of us don't want to give that to Serena. So that's why we're so adamant that you are wrong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But we'll see. I support that.
1: Okay.
2: All right. So what did you have for tonight? All right. So we
1: don't have that much this week because you guys were actually very good. in episode four. So I'm just finishing up uh, a few things with episode three. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is the panel wanted to know what Fred said about Eden's sister. So I'm just going to say what he said. And he said, but Fred asks Eden's dad you have another daughter. And Eden's dad replies, he has truly blessed us. Then Fred says, make certain she learns from her sister's transgressions. In tragedy lies opportunity, which I think he actually misquoted Einstein, which I think the quote is, in the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. But of course, it's Fred. So, what I don't like about that is that he says that Eden transgressed and she's the most innocent person there. And yeah. she she's her, Nick and June are the only ones that use the Bible correctly, that quotes right. the Bible. Right. So um, I, that whole thing was a, a tragedy. But uh, that that's what he said.
2: I can't get restarted on that. But it's, I know there's another daughter that is being persuaded by the wrong people.
1: Right. So the next thing we have is a panel member mentions that June talks about love in every season. And she was right. She just said that June told Luke that Holly was born out of love in season two, when that actually happened in season three, episode five, the unknown caller. So that was she was partially right. And then the next thing we have is the aunt's authority.
2: Oh, that's interesting.
1: The question that the panel wanted to know was, why didn't the Guardian stop Maura? Remember when Maura and June were escaping from the Red Center? Yeah,
2: when they walked out of the Red Center. I wondered that,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, actually, it's because the ants have full authority, unbridled authority over the handmaids. Their power is sort of comparable to the commanders, if you think about it they're they're the only ones other than the commanders that can read or write in Gilead. That in itself is powerful, right? But uh, I wanted to look at where what seasons you can see their power displayed. In episode 10 of season one, when June and the other handmaids refuse to stone Janine, a guardian points the weapon at June and Aunt Lydia yells at him. No, these girls are my responsibility. Oh, yeah. And then in episode two of season three, Aunt Lydia cattle prods June and Lawrence does nothing. Remember when Lawrence yes. is sick? <laughs> <laughs> you just let her get away with it. And then episode four of that same season, season three, Aunt Lydia beats Janine in a room full of commanders and they do nothing. Hmm. And then in episode one of season four, Aunt Lydia comes before the commander's council and is told that she's not going to receive any any punishment any longer. And Calhoun says to her, this is not an exoneration. Those children were taken by females under your charge. And then in episode eight of season four, Aunt Lydia is told by Lawrence that Janine had been captured in Chicago. And Lawrence says the trouble that she has caused and the defiance, it's such a poor reflection on your training on Gilead. And Aunt Lydia says, yes, Commander, I assure you that this girl was led astray, trying to blame June. Mm-hmm. But then Lauren says, this girl was your responsibility. In other words, Aunt Lydia, the buck stops with you. Yes. So, but <laughs> oh, um,
2: those are really good. That's
1: yeah. And the last thing we have, which this is a doozy. Okay. So can the commanders have sex with their wives? for other than procreation reasons.
2: Right. So after the two years, right. Cause I think they have two years until they get a handmaid. Right. And I'm very curious too. After that point, are they supposed to do that? They you?
1: are Yeah, They are allowed to have sex with their wife. Mm. There's no limitation on their, you know, when they can have sex, the limitation is only on the handmaids and the commander's relationship because the commander and the handmaids are only supposed to have sex for procreation reasons, not the wives. And I have proof.
2: That's fascinating. I always thought they weren't supposed to.
1: So no, no, I don't know why people when this is a theocracy, I know, it
2: doesn't you know, make any sense. it know. doesn't, right?
1: <laughs> so, okay. So th- let's look at what the Bible says. We know that uh, Gilead, appropriates or misuses the Bible, but it's still considered a theocracy, right? Yes. Okay, so also keep in mind that the relationships in Gilead have been altered, undermined, and in many ways forbidden. That's what makes Nick and June's love here so fascinating to us because it survived all of that adversity, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so let's look at what the Bible says about marriage. Okay, so we're gonna look at Hebrews 13 and four. And it states that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And that undefiled means it's uncontaminated. The marrow bed? uh, Yeah, the marrow bed is uncontaminated. In other words, the sexual intimacy shared between a husband and wife is to be reserved for that couple alone. God created the sexual union to be between a husband and a wife, period. No other use of sexuality is ever condoned in scripture. To abuse or misuse God's gift of sex is to defile the marriage bed. So that's what God says about it. So let's look at the proof that Gilead, that they're allowed to have sex in Gilead. Okay. Mm -hmm. Season one, episode nine, Janine and Putnam. Mm -hmm. Putnam says in response to Janine, Janine's ex- accusations, she's not well. And then she says, I was well enough to suck your cock. <laughs> <laughs> this is
2: on the bridge, right? Yeah.
1: then she says, I did every fucked up thing you wanted. All the freaky shit that she'd never do. So, yeah, that's proof that they're having sex. Yep. And then season two episode five serena is talking to the newly married eden and she says did your mother tell you what to expect tonight when you lie with him Uh, and then she says it's your duty to bear children that's one of that's one of the things that's her duty but also this, this is serena saying but also let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for thy love is better than wine and eden says i don't understand And Serena says, the act, she's talking about the sexual act, Mm -hmm. lying together, it can feel wonderful for you as well as him. And then Eden says, but it's lust, but lust is a sin. And Serena says, not between husband and wife. It can bring you closer together. It should anyway. And then episode 10 of season two, Commander Horace gets his wife pregnant and -hmm. he's promoted because of it.
2: Right. They're very excited. Yeah.
1: Yep. So that's
2: it. All right. Well, this has been fascinating as always. <laughs> and thanks for doing all the hard work. I, um, I don't know how, what your process is like, but thank you for putting in.
1: You're welcome. Sister. I guess we'll take a break next week because you we don't have anything.
2: That is correct. We audience are working on a special project for next right. week that right. come out on Wednesday. So we're going to take a mid season break from our rewatch and resume that the following week. Okay. But do watch out on Wednesday for something that we are very excited about. Alrighty. Then I guess that is a wrap on our deep dive into season one, episode five of the handmaid's tale. We will see you next Wednesday for our special project and the following week to rewatch Season one, episode six.
0: You know, I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, do. it's dear. No, it's not. I know June. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Our father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can. Because I can't lose you.
2: I'm not gonna let anything happen to you.
0: What about you? Your
1: girlfriend is a badass.